don't watch very many commercials these days. Most of the time we just DVR our stuff, we record it, and then watch whatever show it is when it's convenient for us. But um, And that allows us to skip the advertisements. But it wasn't that long ago that that wasn't an option. Some of you may not have a DVR and you have to sit through the ads. And uh, I think Jesse's kind of spoiled because anytime we have to watch a show live and a commercial comes on, she's like, come on, hurry up, hurry up. She's, she wants to get on with the show. But, you know, um, when, when you have to sit through those advertisements, you, you hear all these, all these enticements for how you should buy a certain thing, how you need a certain product, how you should be like this celebrity or that celebrity. And, and even though they're real annoying, I don't really like commercials, there are some very famous slogans that I, I, I can't forget. For instance, I, I can't help but remembering Ray Charles, as he would say, you got the right one, baby. Uh-huh, yeah, you, you remember it. Um, what about this one? You remember Nike had Bo Jackson, and what was the phrase? Bo knows. You say, I don't remember that one. What about, uh, where's the beef? You remember that one, that, that lady for Wendy's? Every box of Wheaties, if you buy them or if you've seen them on the shelf, they have an athlete on the on the box. The the implication is, if I'll just eat Wheaties, I'll be able to run real fast, jump real high, play basketball, baseball, football, whatever it is, really really well, just like those just like those professionals. YouTube's a great source for these things. Uh, I, I came across an ad from 1992, and I still remember. I thought I remembered the song. I didn't remember as much of it as I thought. The one from Gatorade. I want to be like Mike. Yeah, I want to be like Mike. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it was a, a Gatorade commercial. Yeah. That, that, that was as close to singing as you get. So, anyway, there are all these pressures, all these encouragement to style our lives after other people. The celebrities or whoever it is, athletes. Um, there, there's even that in pastoral ministry. I remember one of my professors in college, when Billy Graham was big onto the scene, uh, he said that he remembered hearing preachers who didn't grow up anywhere around North Carolina talk with North Carolina accent because that's that's the way Billy Graham talked. And 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 certainly there are some people that can be inspirations to us. They can be good to to kind of copy in some area of our lives. But we have to realize that nobody is perfect except for Christ. And the person that we're going to look at today is is John the Baptist. We're going to be in Luke chapter three, and he's one of those people that there's a lot of good stuff in his life that it, it would be good to uh, to emulate, but he's not perfect. Now, we are continuing our series of Sunday School Sermons, and we finally made it out of the Old Testament. It took us over 60 weeks to get through the Old Testament, and there's a lot of stuff that we didn't talk about, but we finally made it to the time of Christ. And, and, and you remember, uh, Christmas wasn't too long ago, and, and we looked at John the Baptist a little bit then and how he prepared people for Christ's ministry. And, and he was a very mighty man. He was great. In fact, Jesus himself said there's no one greater who's been born of woman than John the Baptist. And if Jesus says that, that he's the best there's been, you better pay attention to something about his life. And, and so uh, we, need to, we need to realize again that he's not perfect. You remember uh, there was an incident later on in his life he got put into prison. And he was going through a trial in his life. And he began to wonder, did I make a mistake in looking to Christ? Now, I think we can probably all identify with that, can't we? Uh, we, we go through a trial in life and say, am I really, am I, am I looking to the right place? 
in the end he was he was faithful to the Lord and since Christ commended him so highly it, it would it would do us well to look at his life so I'd like you to stand if you would and we'll look at Luke chapter 3 and we're going to uh, try to learn some lessons that we can apply to ourselves from from his life uh, verse 1 it says now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness and he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness make ready the way of the Lord make his path straight every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low the crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers that's not very seeker sensitive is it you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham for our father for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham indeed the axe is already laid at the root of the trees so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire and the crowds were questioning him saying then what shall we do and he would answer and say to them the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none and he who has food is to do likewise and some tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said to him teacher what shall we do and he said to them collect no more than what has been, than what you've been ordered to some soldiers were questioning him saying and what about us what shall we do and he said to them do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages now while the people people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ John answered and said to them all as for me I baptize you with water but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather up the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Thank you. Have a seat. So there's a lot of stuff there. The first thing that we can learn from his life, I think, is that we need to be confident in our witness. We need to be confident in our witness. Now, if you look back at verses 3 and then 7 to 9, uh, he, he was very confident in his message. He called people a brood of vipers. Now that's, uh, you remember Jesus, he, he said something very similar to the religious leaders. He said, you're of your father the devil. And a, a brood of vipers, he's saying you're, you're the offspring of the serpent. He's saying very, something very similar to what Jesus said to the religious leaders. And in particular, he was saying it to the religious leaders, we know uh, from the other gospel accounts, 
that had come out to be baptized by him. But he, he called these people a brood of vipers. And he called them to repent. Now, if I were to stand up here and call you all a bunch of snakes and tell you to repent, you'd probably be like, excuse me? Oh, no, you didn't, right? I mean, we, we, would, be, we would balk at that. We would have a problem with it because it's very popular today for people to say, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? You, you, you don't know what's going on. Used to, Jerry Springer was the big thing. And, I mean, every time you flipped on the, the, the channel, I mean, every time you're flipping through, there'd be somebody throwing a chair at somebody. And one of the things you'd always hear him say is, you don't know me. You don't know where I come from. You don't know my family. And that's just what people say today. Because people think that if somebody calls something right or wrong, they're being uh, judgmental, they're being arrogant, they're being some sort of a bigot. But that's not the case. Because John was convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning somebody repents of their sins and, and accepts Christ as Lord of their life, he was convinced that that's the only way a person could be saved. And the thing was, he was right. He knew that missing hell and going to heaven being made right with God was only through Jesus Christ. And, and, and the thing is, telling people that was not unloving. Now, we don't like to be told that we're doing wrong. But you know what? That can be the most loving thing that can happen. It'd be like if somebody, somebody came up for a cure for cancer and they had a way that they could dispense that cure for cancer for free and they went through a cancer ward what would be more loving to tell them or to not tell them not tell them right same thing with with sin somebody all of us are affected by sin we're all headed to hell apart from Christ the most unloving thing you can do is not tell people about the cure and that's what John was doing he was very confident in his message. Now, what was his message? What did it consist of? It consisted of three parts. Repent, clear the way for the coming Messiah, which that's already happened, so that doesn't apply to us today. But repent, clear the road for the coming Messiah. And number three was judgment is coming on the unrepentant. Now, you may have noticed that that word repent shows up an awful lot in there. What does it mean to repent? Well, it's not some mystical thing that happens to you. Oh, well, Repentance hit me today at church. No, repentance is a choice. It's when you make a choice, you willingly choose to turn from your life of sin and turn towards God in faith. And the Bible says that when we do that, John said in here, you're going to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That, that was his terminology. That means that if, if you truly repent, if you truly get saved, your life is going to show it. There's going to be a difference in the way that you're living. And, and, and so... Uh, it's just like night as night follows days, day, it always happens. Now, if you've never done that, today's the day you need to do it. You say, well, how do I know if I'm saved? One way you can do it is by inspecting the fruit that you're bearing. Does it match what you're saying? Now, look at verse 7. Again, he calls these people a brood of vipers. In particular, these are, and, and again, you you compare all the gospel accounts, you get some more information on this. But these are the religious leaders. They come to Jesus, or come to John, and they're wanting to be baptized. They're wanting, they're wanting eternal life. They're wanting heaven. They're wanting religion. They're wanting all these things, but they don't want to repent to get it. 
So here are these people who want to escape judgment, but they don't want to do what God says to do in order to escape. And, and that's why he calls them a bunch of snakes. He called them to repentance, and that's what I'm calling you to. If you have something in your life you need to repent of, repent of it today. He goes on to talk about clearing the road. Now, now back then they didn't have, you know, they didn't have I-44 and stuff like that. They didn't have paved roads. In fact, a lot of times they didn't even have roads. And so if a king was coming through an area, he would send people out a couple weeks in advance, and they would proclaim the king is coming, and, and all the people were to, uh, were to come by, and they were to, to clear off a path because we don't want the king to hit a bump in his chariot. And so they'd, they'd fill up the potholes. They'd, they'd, they'd take these mountains down, and, and there were actually some oriental kings. That, that was one of the things they did. They would lower mountains. They would dig them out, and it would take a long time. But they'd, they'd do that. They'd, they'd fill in valleys so there weren't all these hills like we have out here. It's not all this up and down. It wouldn't be like driving out on T Highway. I mean, it, it would be flat and smooth. They'd remove a bunch of the rocks, remove the obstacles. And that's what John said. He said, remove these obstacles to following God in your life. And we don't really have kings that do that today. But I remember when, do you remember when the uh, Olympics came to Atlanta? It's just a few years ago, but one of the things that they did was they changed their whole infrastructure roadwise. And so now, if you go through, you've got like 20 lanes of highway, right? No, not 20, but like six lanes of, of interstate. And they did all this work because all these important people were coming. They they needed to change things, and that, that's what John's saying. He says an important person's coming, Jesus. You need to change some things in your life to 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 remove those obstacles that hinder you from following him. But then he said, there's judgment coming on the unrepentant. Now, when you, when you think about a gospel message, if, if you could make a picture of what that gospel message would be, what would it be? You might have somebody standing with open arms. That's the way we would do it, right? Around Valentine's Day, we might think, God is love, so I'm going to make a heart. You might do something like that. Here is... Here's John's picture, if, if you'll notice. Here's the gospel, he says. Bad news is coming to the unrepentant. He said the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. In other words, somebody's got the axe, they're getting ready to swing. Then he talks about a winnowing fork. I didn't have a winnowing fork, so I didn't bring it. But what a winnowing fork is, is they would have grain... Of course, they didn't have combines like we do. They'd have wheat, for instance. They they get out to what's called threshing floor. They'd have an ox or something walk all over it and separate the grain from the chaff. That that kind of like a leafy skin stuff on it. And they get this winnowing fork. It's kind of like a pitchfork. They throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall back down because it's heavy. And he says, judgment's coming. It's pictured with an axe. It's pictured as, as chaff being blown away. And he says it's going to be burned with unquenchable fire. He's going to burn up the chaff. That's bad news. But listen, you've got to have the bad news before the good news is good news. It's like going to the doctor. If, you, if the doctor says, you've got a year to live, you'd say, one, a year? But if he says... I caught this rare cancer, and, and usually you'd have a day, but you've got a year, you'd say, that's some good news. See, 
news in good or bad until it's put into context. There's judgment coming. That's the bad news. The good news is the gospel. You can be saved from that through Jesus Christ. That is our message. And we need to be bold with that message. Just like, just like John was. He was confident in it. And a lot of people are frankly ashamed of the gospel. They, they don't want to tell people about Jesus because, well, who am I to say something? I don't know all the answers. Say, Pastor, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. Guess what? I don't know it either. Find it out. Find it out. Peter says that, that we need to be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. Study to show yourself approved. I was, I was reading different articles this past, I think it's the past week, maybe the week before, and I came across a blog that I, I'd never been to before, but on that blog, this man was telling about an experience he had, and he was a young man in his, in his early 20s, sitting at McDonald's, uh, reading and, and listening to some music, and a Jehovah's Witness came up to him, gave him some literature, and, and was going to be on her way. But before she left, this man asked this woman, he said, quote, I'm a Christian, a Baptist specifically. Why is this better, or how does it offer more than what I already believe? End quote. Why is what you're offering me better than what I already have? Now, if somebody were to ask you that, what would you say? You say, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. And you tell them, and they say, well, how's that any better than what I already have? Sometimes we're caught flat-footed, aren't we? That's what this that's what happened to this lady. It was a very simple question, but she didn't really have a good answer. She just said, well, I, I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. What kind of gospel is that? That's not good news. We should have an answer of that hope that lies within us. Because we have the answer to the problem of sin, so be confident in that. So that's the first thing. We need to be confident in our witness. Second, he was committed to personal holiness. He was committed to personal holiness. Now we know from the other Gospels that John lived a very Spartan life. He was he lived out in the wilderness and out in the desert, if you've ever seen the pictures of it. And there's nothing except rocks and sand. That's about it. Caves and things like that. His clothing, does anybody remember what John wore? Camel's hair? And a leather belt or leather girdle. And what do you eat? Everybody remembers this, right? Honey, wild honey and locusts. Now there's a weight loss plan for you. If I had to eat if I had to eat honey and bugs, I'd be a lot skinnier than I am right now. Now why'd he do that? Because he was committed to God. Now am I saying that because we live in 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 nice homes, because you know, we like to eat Andy's uh, custard and, and we like to have a steak and potato that we're not committed to God? No. John did this because he wanted all that was left to be the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. And I'm not saying that we have to, to, to go live in a cave and eat bugs to be holy. God said, be holy for I am holy. John was holy. How holy was he? Well, people recognized him as a prophet, even his enemies did. But the one that stood out to me, and I'd, I'd read this my whole life, and I'd never thought about it this way before. Look again at verse 15. This one really hit me. It said, Now while the people were in a state of expectation, they were all waiting for the Messiah, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. Now I want you to think about that. 
His life was so holy, people mistook him for the Messiah. People confused John with Jesus. Pull that over to today. Has anybody ever confused you with Jesus? They haven't me. Never has anybody come up and said, Oh, hey, Jesus. I mean, Jeff. Nobody does that. But that's how holy John was. People thought he might actually be the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God. That's something to strive for, isn't it? He was committed to personal holiness. Now, I just want to address something here because here's something I've heard my whole life. See if you've ever heard this. I just want to live my life in such a way that people will see my life and you know the rest, right? And they'll just know there's a difference. And what's the implication? They will know there's such a difference. When they see me at Walmart paying that lady, they'll say, that's a Christian, I want what he has. And they'll fall under conviction and get saved and we'll have a revival in Walmart. I mean, that's what we think, right? That's what We, we don't actually say it, but that, here's what we say. I want to live my life in such a way people see there's a difference and want Jesus. And that's a good, that's a good thought, right? But let's think about this. How many times have you been around somebody and they said, you know what? I see the way that you act and I've fallen under conviction from watching you live. Probably not very many. You know how, I can say this with pretty good confidence, probably not very many, because when I look at Jesus, He didn't walk around and people say, I, I, I just want to get saved without him saying anything. He always told people about God. John, as holy as he was, he told people about God. And he's a lot holier than us. Jesus is a lot holier than us. If Jesus didn't have to tell people about the Lord for them to respond, he would have just walked around and we wouldn't have a single parable, a single word that he said. We'd have all these stories. Jesus uh, walked on water. Jesus healed somebody. And those are great. But he always told people about God. There's that hearing. And even John, as holy as he was, pointing people to Christ. And in our lives, listen, our lives will give weight to our words. I like the way one preacher put it. He said, people are not saved by your life. They're saved by his death. And they don't know about his death until they've heard it from your mouth. And then the words that you say will be backed up by the life that you live. Because here's what we do a lot of times. We want to go out and live like the devil and then tell somebody about Jesus and say, here's how the Lord's made a difference in my life, but we're living like the person that we're talking to. Or we're living worse than the person that we're talking to. Now how much sense does it make to say, God's made a change in my life and you should do what I'm doing even though I'm doing worse than you. You're going to say, I, I don't want any of that. That make any sense. Even Herod, John's enemy, John rebuked him. He didn't say, you hypocrite. His life backed up his words. When our lives back up our words, it's like a one-two punch. We're called to live a holy life. And listen, I, I want you to hear what I'm saying. We should live a holy life, and we should want our lives to matter and to, to, to be different from those around us. And we should want people to look at us and say, I want what that person has but they won't know what you have unless you tell them about it. Unless we say, Jesus made this difference. 
We need to be committed to personal holiness. And the last thing that we need to do from John's life is we need to be courageous when confronting evil. Look again at verse 19. Though when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now John was like a lot of these prophets before. He had a backbone about this wide. He was courageous. He rebuked Herod. Now, this is not the Herod that was ruling when Jesus was born. Okay, We read sometimes and, and we see Herod there. We see Herod in our passage today. And what we sometimes don't realize is Herod the Great was the one who was alive when Jesus was born. And he had kids. One of them was named Herod Antipas. That's this one. One of them was named Herod Philip. That's another one that was mentioned. He had all these kids and he named them all, a bunch of them Herod. After himself. And called them by their last name, I guess. Now, what was it that John rebuked Herod for? Well, it's easy to understand, but all the relationships are kind of complicated. So I'm going to give you a very simplified version. And it's still kind of confusing, so pay attention. Herod the Great is on the throne when Jesus is born. He has a lot of wives and a lot of kids. One of his kids had a wife by the name of Herodias. Now, his kids were depraved, just like Herod the Great was the one who was in power when Jesus was born. So Herodias ends up marrying her half-uncle. While she is married to him, Herod Antipas, the one who John rebukes, seduces her and marries her. So uh, understand what's, what's going on. Here's a man, when he marries Herodias, she is now his wife, his niece, his, yeah, his niece and his sister-in-law. It's like the Ray Stevens song, I Am My Own Grandpa. I mean, it is, it is messed up. And so it's improper by any standards. This man marries his own niece because she's the daughter of a, a half-brother and a sister-in-law because it's a half-brother. Uh, anyhow. So it's improper. And G John rebuked him. Now, it's dangerous rebuke one of these Roman rulers because they'd say off with his head and that's that, that, that ended up happening to John he put him in prison and Herodias got Herod to cut his head off but John did it and he didn't do it anonymously today we have a lot of keyboard warriors you know people get on the internet they'll type all kinds of things under the cloak of anonymity John didn't have that he, went, he was right up in, in Herod's business, and he told him what, what was up. He told him what was going on. He told him, this is wrong. This is sinful. How many times do we shy away from doing something like that because it's uncomfortable? We don't want confrontation. Somebody's in power or authority over us like Herod was to John. It's going to cost us in some way. And it's not easy. But we need to be courageous, just like John was. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. I mean, just like Daniel was. They all had courage. They all stood up for, for God. We need to be courageous when we confront evil. Now again, John was not perfect. But he is a good example for us to follow. He was confident in the message of the cross. He was 
committed to personal holiness, living a right life, and he was he was committed and courageous in confronting evil. And that's the call to each of us. If you're a Christian, Gatorade wants us to be like Mike. I think the Bible wants to be like John a little more. I challenge you to do that. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And I ask as you stand, you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. We just looked at three things that John did, and there are all kinds of things that we could look at, all kinds of lessons from his life. But just think, which one of those are you the weakest in? Are you courageous when you front, confront sin, or, or do you kind of shy away from it? It's not easy. Are you committed to living a holy life? Because if you confront sin and you're not living a life to back it up now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, because none of us are. John wasn't. But your words are going to be flat, and they're not going to make any sense. Are you ashamed of the gospel? So I believe the Bible church. I just don't know just don't know out in the real world how it works. I just don't know. Maybe it's Jesus alone. Maybe it's not. That's, that's not confidence. Well, one thing can you do that will change make the biggest change in one of those three areas. You need to repent of some sin. Living wrong. Remember, repentance isn't just something that happens. It's a choice. Where you choose to turn from your sin, turn to God. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Same thing. You repent by turning from your sin. You turn to God in faith. You trust in Him and Him alone to save you. And you accept Him as Lord of your life.